you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. this morning. He is worthy. Let's give him an ovation of praise in this house. He is worthy to be praised. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run therein. Amen, amen, amen. Happy Father's Day to all the dads and dads-to-be in the house today. God bless you. God bless you to all of our guests that are with us this morning. Thank you for being with us on this Sunday morning. I believe God wants to say something very powerful to us this morning. Yesterday, I, of course, have been thinking throughout the week what I was going to speak on Father's Day, and I was at lunch yesterday. And while sitting at the lunch table, the Lord literally downloaded a thought and a concept, and I couldn't write. I was celebrating Destiny's 25th birthday yesterday, and I didn't want to interrupt everything that was happening at the table, but I was needing to take a moment because my memory's about this long. And the Lord began to speak to me. I came home yesterday, began to write as the Lord began to inspire, and I hope to speak something to you today in every in every message that is preached regardless where we take a text regardless where we begin the job of every preacher is to point you to Jesus because without him there's no salvation there's no salvation in any other name for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So I look forward to this morning pointing you to Jesus. We're going to start this morning in Genesis, the second chapter. I'm going to begin with verse number 19 and then taking you into Genesis, the third chapter, beginning in the very first book of the Bible. I'm going to see what the Lord is going to speak today. Genesis chapter 2. And verse number 19, say amen when you've got it. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam 
to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And, and the woman said unto the, ser unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And so the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, little g. Knowing good and evil. Let's drop to verse number 14. The last passage here. And the Lord God said unto the servant, to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou have, hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten the tree, eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. By the help of the Lord today, I'm going to attempt to scratch the surface of a very large subject. And I desire your prayer and thank you for the card, the nice gift from the church today.
the best gift you could give me would be to just engage in what God is wanting to do in this room this morning. No Sunday evening service, so we just have one shot at this. Let's have a move of God in this house today. By the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach identity crisis. Identity crisis. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we need your help. I need your help this morning. Your servant stands before this congregation, your people this morning. God, to deliver the word which you have downloaded into my spirit. And Lord, I come this morning to speak. I pray for the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray for you to inspire the hearts and minds of people. Lord, where my vocabulary falls short, your spirit and your power will impress the thoughts of men and women in this room today. And God, that we will be touched by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord, and your word would speak the purpose for which you are sending it deep into our hearts and spirits and minds and lives. Let there be a change, Lord, an everlasting change in every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. An identity crisis is defined as a period of uncertainty or confusion in a person's life. I want really bad to ask you this morning, how many of you have ever been through an identity crisis, but I'm afraid to do so? I have a feeling it'll be a little overwhelming because all of us at one time or another have dealt with an identity crisis. This crisis occurs when a person's sense of identity becomes insecure or unstable. An identity, an identity crisis is a personal psychosocial conflict that often occurs during adolescence, but it can occur at any point in a person's life. It involves confusion about one's social role and sense of self. While people in all stages of life can experience an identity crisis, adolescents seem to be most prone. A study conducted some time ago found that 37% of teens were struggling with their identity, 37%. There's an, there is expansive research on identity that shows that identity development can be difficult or tumultuous period in a person's life. Eric Erickson, an important figure in identity research, theorize that we all go through stages of psychosocial development during our lives. Erickson proposed that if you do not achieve the ability to establish proper identity or role within society and yourself, this stage can bring you into an identity crisis. In the book of Genesis, we read about the first man. What was his name? Adam. 
We read of the first man, Adam, and the first woman. In my study, it appears to me that the woman could have been the first recorded individual with an identity crisis. Stay with me now. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And God himself breathed his very own breath. The breath of God was breathed into the nostrils of man and he became a living soul. Shortly thereafter, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone in Genesis 2 and 19. At the point in which he spoke that it was not good for man to be alone was the point in which God actually named the man. Think of this. God literally took and scooped from the dust of the ground and formed and shaped man. Breathed into man the breath of life. He goes on about the work of creation. But when he recognizes that it was not good for man to be alone, this did not happen until Adam was naming all of the creation of God. He places man in the garden. He gives man a job to dress it and to keep it, Genesis 2.15. And then the scripture says that God brings all, every living creature to Adam. And he says, Adam, you have one job to do. Name the creatures. And when he went about all of his naming, he gets to the end and there was no help for Adam. At that point, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. In Genesis 2.19 was the first time that God ever called him Adam. Before this, he was just the man. So God forms Adam, breathes his very own breath into Adam, and then he gives Adam his name. After he gives Adam his name, he puts Adam into a deep sleep and he took a rib from the side of Adam and from the rib he forms woman. Genesis 2.20 picks up a little explanation of this passage Genesis 2.20, and Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And he brought her unto the man. 
just like he had brought every other creature. He now forms man from his side and he brings her before man just like every other creature. Adam, you have one job to do. Name every living creature. Verse 23, maybe they'd put it on the screen. And Adam said, now, that's what I'm talking about. I'm tired of being lonely. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And look at her. And then he says, and she shall be called woman. How is it that the very first man had a problem doing his one job? And she'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam's given one job and only one job that Adam was given was the, the task of naming every living creature. And whatever name Adam spoke, that's what they became. Think with me here now, Adam's ability to identify things with words was Adam's only real job. He was put in the garden to dress it and to keep it. That was a long-term goal that God put Adam in the garden. You have a job to do. You're going to dress the garden and keep the garden. I'm going to take this man that I formed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I formed, I breathed life into him. I give him a name. I place him in a perfect environment that God planted the garden. And he says, hey, boy, you make it better. You dress it and you keep it. Adam kicks back and says, well, it looks pretty good to me. I don't know. I don't think I need to do any mowing today. I don't think I need to. It looks pretty good to me. I think I, it's all right for me. I'm just going to sit here under the shade tree and enjoy the cool breeze. Wait for God to bring the next creature by so I can decide what I'm going to name it. It's his only job. And he messes up his only job. Whatever name Adam spoke, though, that is what they became. Adam's ability to identify things with words was his only job. This included, included giving the woman her name. But he missed the opportunity when God brings her before him. And he just said, she'll be the woman. I find it unique that things resemble what they're called. 
I, I don't know what else that you would call a cow except a cow. Good job, Adam. A lion is a lion because they do lion kind of things. What if he would have named a lion a poodle? Doesn't work. A hippo just seems fitting in my mind. I'm in agreement with Adam. Then he brings woman. Then he just says, hmm. She shall be woman. God didn't name Eve. And Adam only first called her woman. Watch with me now. God left the identity of the first woman to her husband. I'm letting that settle in. God left the identity of the first wife to her husband. What will you call her? Adam could have called her anything. He could have named her by her failure. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Adam called her Eve because she was the mother of of every living thing. But remember, by the time that Adam named her Eve and called her Eve, sin had already taken its toll. Watch. So the woman that he called Eve because she is the mother of the living, by the time he called her the mother of the living, she had already committed sin. Death, a death sentence was already written over all mankind. She was not only the mother of the living, she was also the mother of the dying. So Adam, what are you going to call her? Will you call her the mother of the dying? Or will you call her Eve, the mother of the living? But Adam never mentioned her failure. He called her Eve, the mother of the living. Can I pause for a moment and just say, to every man in this congregation, sir, it matters what you call the woman that God puts in your life. She will likely live up to the expectations of what you call her. If you call her faithful, then she will be faithful. But if you call her failure, it's likely that she will live up to your expectations. What will you name her? 
if you call her virtuous, her children, not only will she be virtuous, but her children will rise up and will call her blessed. She will become what you speak over her. The task of naming children was an ancient role that goes back to the beginning of time. Unlike today, I think I had very little influence in the names of our children. As a matter of fact, my wife laughed at the names I chose for our children. She had heavy influence until I finally agreed that it was the names that I wanted. Smart man am I. The task of naming children is an ancient process. The name would speak of the power of intent. What they believed the, chi the child would become, they would speak that. They would name the child and the child would become what they named the child. The name of the child will point them in the direction that the parent would want them to walk and that task was the task that was given not to the mother, not to the grandmother, not to the family, but to the father. The father would speak the name of the child and the child would be called by that name and it would point the direction of that child. That's why let's name him David and he will become the beloved. Let's call her Ruth and she will be a compassionate friend. Or we can name him Jacob and he becomes the rascal that his name meant. But in the process, when man got it wrong, God steps in and God said, No, you rascal you. I had greater things in mind for you, Jacob, than did your mother. Your name shall no, shall no longer be called Rascal, Jacob, but your name shall be called Israel because God spoke something into his future that changed his destiny. God said your name is too important for you to live the rest of your life being a rascal, being a supplanter, but your name will be changed to Israel. You will have power with God. You will be a prince with power with God. God changed his name when his parents chose the wrong name. The ancient task of naming the child was bestowed upon the father, not the mother. When Rachel was dying from the difficult pains of labor that would eventually take her life with her last born son just before she dies, the midwife tells her, it's a boy. 
It's a man-child. She's in grief. She is in pain. Unsure of what the complications may be, our minds could wonder that she was dealing with such pain that it ended up taking the birth of her child, took the life of Rachel. And in her groaning, and in her despair, and in her pain, she said, His name shall be Benoni. Meaning the son of my sorrow. His name shall be the son of my sorrow. But Jacob said no. No. My son is not going to live his entire life being reminded that his birth caused his mom's death. Oh no. Not my son. His name shall not be called the son of my sorrow, but his name shall be called Benjamin. He shall be favored and at my right hand. Oh, I come this morning to tell you that when the Father steps in and calls you by the name that he has intended for you from your very conception, it will change the course. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. It will change the course of your future. You don't have to live out the person that somebody said you were going to be. There can be a change in you. You don't have to live with an identity crisis and thinking I've got to be the loser. I've got to be the, the, the one that hurts. I've got to be the one that is addicted. But I can be the one that is set free because Jesus says I'm set free. Let me stay with my text this morning. Sir, there is power in what you speak over your children. Dad, you're establishing the identity that will be with them for the rest of their life. What will you speak over your children? I can tell you why a little five-year-old boy becomes so confused about their identity that they don't know who they are. It's because they didn't have a dad telling them who they are. Oh, come on, we need some men that will speak over their children. You are loved. You are faithful. You are true. You are honest. My, 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 my. Dare we not call our children a liar, call our children a thief, call our children a whoremonger, call our children a slut or any other word that you want to place over them. You better call them love. You better call them faithful. You better call them joy. You better call them peace. Ah, come on, Dad. It's up to you to speak life over your children and tell them this is who you are. You are God's chosen. You are God's person. You are... You are powerful. 
looking over their future. Dad, that little boy becomes what he becomes because of the identity that you put in that little boy's life. Well, I don't want people to criticize me and think that I'm promoting my kids too much. I don't care what the rest of the world says. Look at the rest of the world. Raise up men and women of God. Raise up people that love God and are faithful. Raise up young men and women that'll sit on the first and second row, that'll support their pastor when he's preaching, that grow up and hold jobs and support the church and reach the lost. Come on, it's up to you. What do you want to raise? What kind kind of children do you want to raise? What do you want them to be? Point them in the direction. They are arrows in the hand, mighty man. Point them and let them fly. Dad, you are that little girl's identity. My dad, my dad, I remember, you remember grade school? My dad can beat up your dad. My dad's bigger than your dad, smarter than your dad. I never forget when I was in about the second or third grade, my dad came to pick me up, and one of the popular girls in school that I didn't think knew my name looked around in the classroom, looked at me, and she said, Ooh, your dad is handsome. From childhood, children learn what is expected of them by the words that are spoken over them. Correct your children. The Bible tells us so. Spare the rod and spoil the child. But you don't have to beat them. You don't have to criticize them. You don't have to remind them of every fault. And every time, listen, if you've lived your whole life and you've never had difficulty in your marriage and you've been married any length of time, God bless you, you need to be up here preaching this message. I need to be sitting out front. We've been married about 32 years and we've had a few days of um, disagreement for a few minutes till I said, yes, ma'am. There's been failure. I haven't always done everything right. My lovely wife, as much as I'd like to on this Father's Day, be able to stand up here and get all the accolades and say, my wife has always been perfect. I have to tell you, she hasn't always been perfect. But you know what I thank God for? She doesn't look up here this morning and say, I'm going to call you by your failure. I'm going to speak to you by your mistake. Come on, this message goes two ways this morning. You, 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 maybe, you maybe thought you married Mr. Right and Mr. Perfect and Miss Beautiful and Miss Perfect, but I want to tell you, you're going to find some fault along the way. You can either identify them by their failure and by their fault, and they will grow up the rest of the life being your man and being your woman, or you can decide, uh-uh, that's not what I'm going to name her Eve. I'm going to establish a name over her. I'm not just going to let her be my woman and him be my man, but I'm going to establish 
establish a covenant with them and they are going to be my wife and my husband and I am going to speak life over them and I'm not going to identify them by my failure. Eve, you fruit eater. Eve, you sinner. Eve, you one that listened to the serpent. But Eve, I'm not even going to mention it. I'm going to call you the faithful of the living. I'm not going to mention that you are the mother of the dying as well. Dad, you're the identity of that little girl that God has put in your life. The words you speak over her is so very important. That wife of yours will live up to what you call her. Your words matter. If you want her children to rise up and call her blessed, then you better be blessing her in front of them. Because if you're cursing her in front of them, they're going to curse her in front of you. May the 5th, 1990, I walked down the aisle in our little building on Delphi Avenue. Brown carpet and gold pews. Paneling walls. Suit and ties. Beautiful wife. When her dad placed her hand in my hand and gave her to be my wife there was a transference in responsibility that happened for 20 years from the time that the doctor set that baby in my in-law's arms her dad was her identity. Thank you, Dan, for raising this young lady in truth. Her dad was her identity. 32 years ago, her dad, who had been her identity for life, placed her hand into my hand and she took on a brand new identity. That's why there's more to her changing her last name to be in Jordan. This isn't something that's just modern. Her identity changed because I became her new identity. As her husband, it became my responsibility. To name her. Her dad didn't raise her up calling her guilty, calling her sinner, calling her unfaithful. Her dad spoke life, spoke hope, spoke ministry. She was grown before she told her dad some of the horrible things that she did as a kid growing up like without permission, went to the skating rink. 
They could have gotten their eyes put out. She just gave me the stop bet right there now. Now as her husband, I have the responsibility to call her by her past or to call her by her future. When I'm frustrated, I often call her Lytle. And I won't tell you what she calls me. It's my responsibility to speak to her future and tell her what she can become and what she is in my eyes. And my boys got to know their mother by the words that I called her. But what I allowed them to call her every time that they wanted to get crossways with their mother. I wish one of my boys would be here this morning, at least one of them, so that they could identify this with you. But there's been a few times that they didn't speak to their mother in the tone of voice that I thought that they were supposed to speak to her in. And I didn't let her stand up and fight her own battle. But I came out like a raging lion. Listen to me, boy. You are not going to talk to your mother in that tone of voice. She's not your friend. She's not your foe. And she's not the... She is your mother. You will say, yes, ma'am. You will speak kindly to her. You will speak to her in a voice that shows respect. You know why I did that? Because I didn't want them to grow up with that. Because whatever I tolerated, the way that I would tolerate them speaking to their mother would be the same way that they would speak to their spouse. And I knew if I could teach my boys to honor their mother and to show love and respect to their mother that when they took their lady by the hand that they would begin to name her blessed and name her beautiful and name her faithful. Come on, what you name. Oh, I need somebody this morning to get a hold of what I'm preaching to you. You have a responsibility, Dad. Name your wife. Name your children. It doesn't matter what the world wants to say. Say, or what peer pressure wants to say. Speak the name over them. I've got to hurry. I'm out of time. But Adam missed the opportunity to give her her name. And he just called her woman. As a matter of fact, you will want to notice with me that the woman sinned before Adam gave her her name, thus leading me to the idea that a formed woman without a name would be searching for her identity, thus leaving Eve in an identity crisis. God formed me out of his rib, but nobody told her who she was. 
Maybe she was searching for her identity. Maybe she was having an identity crisis. And then along came the serpent. He knew who he was because Adam had already named him. He shows up to the woman in crisis trying to figure out who she was. And the serpent beguiled her. He fooled her. He tricked her. You know why? Because he began to talk about her identity. Watch this. You will be like God. You'll not die. You've been lied to. They haven't identified you yet. You are in an identity crisis. You're going to be like God. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to know all of these things. All he was speaking was what God already said. God already said that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you're going to die. God didn't say you weren't going to have the knowledge. He already told him it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Satan didn't design that. He just repeated what God had already said. You can eat of that and you can have the knowledge of good and evil, but along with that comes the curse of sin and it's going to lead to death. Satan comes along and beguiles her and says, you'll be like God. When you don't know who you are, you'll spend your life trying to be like somebody else instead of who God made you to be. The serpent said, you can be wise and you can be like God. You will know good from evil. The serpent spoke everything the woman with an identity crisis was wanting to hear. So he beguiled her, the King James Version said. He fooled her. But the Bible said Adam was not deceived. Why was Adam not deceived? Because Adam knew who he was. God had already named him. Oh, my Lord and my God. And then God told Adam, Adam, you name every living thing, and that includes the woman. He brings every living thing, including the woman, in front of him. And when he gets there, he's more worried about where she came from than who she was. And so he just says, he, she's the woman. And when Adam failed to fix her identity crisis, she was deceived into sin. I'm not saying that Adam could have prevented the woman's sin, but maybe it was connected. Maybe her husband had the ability to fix her identity crisis before Satan beguiled her by trying to give her her identity. Because the role of Satan has always been to give man their identity. Every sin from Adam to Moses and from Moses to the setting up of the kingdom has all been brought to us compliments of one thing and that is the desire to know who we are. And we begin to say, I need to find myself. Oh, they're just searching for themselves. Oh, they're just trying to figure out who they are. And so they go to the bar and they go to the bottle. I come this morning to tell you, can I make a little spiritual application before we go home this morning? God made man in his image and gave man a law. But man could not live 
live up to the expectations of the law because the law came without a name. A law came with a list of rules and regulations, but it came without a name. That's why Hebrews says, ah, there's a better way coming. That word better starts showing up because the law came without a name. It just came with a roster of rules and regulations. Mankind is wandering in the darkness of despair, trying to live up to the expectations of the law in identity crisis, searching through sin, trying to find their way out. But mankind was always failing because they did not yet have the name, always coming up short because humanity is looking for a name because the law left with them without a name. So God said, I see the issue with the law and I need to give you a name. Philippians chapter 2, and I got to take this thing home this morning. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Who is him? Jesus. Now I bring you into the New Testament. I told you before I started that we were going to end pointing you to who Jesus was. The issue with sin is that man is always looking for an identity. And the only, you're never going to find what you're looking for as long as you are wandering around looking for, for it in, the, in this world. Because this world is never going to identify you. This world will identify you as the alcoholic. It will identify you as the addicted. The world will identify you as the addict. The world will identify you as the one in crisis. The world will identify you with the one with the issue. But along came the name of Jesus and he said you can take on a name that is going to change everything in your future. He's not going to remember anything in your past. That's why when you repent of your sin and you go down in water baptism in the name of Jesus, you take on a name. And when you take on his name, old things are passed away. He doesn't remember what you used to be, but he calls you by a brand new name. He puts in you a brand new hope, a brand new future, a brand new life. Life. Everything is passed away and now everything is come new. I have a new name and it's written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, if your name's been written down, you ought to get on your feet and you ought to thank God that he resolved your identity crisis. One day at an altar, he resolved it with his name. He resolved it by his blood. When you see the sinner on the street, I had to repent last night. The last couple of years, the Lord's been dealing with me. He's brought new friends into my life, new people into my life to help me understand. I was riding in the vehicle with Dylan yesterday. We got in a bad part of Indianapolis. People were on the street corners. People were sleeping on the street. Some coming by pushing carts. I remember a day in my life 
than I might would have called them by their failure. But we've got to stop calling people in the world by their failure. We've got to stop calling them by their past. We've got to start speaking hope over them. Mm. For he who Jesus, for he was wounded for our transgressions. For he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Paul looks around and he said, he calls sin by name. And he goes down the long laundry list of sin. And he, after he goes through everything from witchcraft uh, to every other sin that is, an, uh, that is imaginable and some unimaginable. And then he turns around and he said and such were some of you but you were washed and you were sanctified you know what that means that means he has changed your identity from what you used to be to what he wants you to be nobody else could do it except our heavenly father our heavenly father has spoken a name over us and that name he's spoken is Jesus the savior of the world if you're in this room this morning and you don't know him as your savior you ought to just run to the front of this room and you ought to just to declare he is my Lord and he is my God. He is my Savior. I put him alive and on the throne in my life. He is the one that speaks hope into my future. I refuse to allow the world to identify me. I refuse to allow my past to identify me. I will be who Jesus says I am. I will be who Jesus says I am. Come on, let's respond to the word of God this morning. 